Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. I almost lost my um my voice. Amen. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Good to see everybody out. All right. I got a little feedback on this mic. I can hear myself. Okay, that's better. All right, so we are at lesson two of um, the Inheritance Sight series. And this lesson tonight, kind of before I get into it, kind of want to just set you up for it, um, is most definitely a a message that I think that is missing when we teach on the gifts, whether it's, it's any type of gift, but specifically we're talking about the gift of sight tonight, but this message is for all gifts, okay? This message will be for every gift that um that you that may be in the body of Christ and tonight's um message like i say is is more of a pruning message because when it comes to operating in your gifts there's certain protocols that need to be taught and certain protocols that need to be explained before we just go in and just start doing stuff and so that's the purpose of me doing this lesson tonight um, because the basic bottom line is that we need to be <clears throat> grounded and rooted in what we are going to do as far as the gift, but also through our life because they go, they're, they're parallel, they coincide with one another. Our gifts and how we steward our life coincide with one another. Amen? So when it comes to stewarding um, any gift the Father has given you, it will always be in direct alignment with a couple of things, okay? And that's when we're talking about stewarding any gift. It's going to be in direct alignment with, number one, stewarding your life, stewarding your heart, stewarding your motives, along with stewarding the actual use of the gift, so I believe, you know, even as I teach this, even though we have not done the impartation service yet, which will come at the end of the last lesson, I believe as I continue to do this, and because I've gotten like countless calls from people and different things about things they're seeing, the dreams and visions they're having, um, and even more even than that, that as I teach that the impartation is already taking place. So, in saying that, tonight's teaching, I'm going to be talking to you about stewarding the ability to see. But remember, this is inclusive to all the gifts, okay? So, stewarding your ability to see. Now, this, remember I said, is this is not your typical message in regards to the gift, but it's a much-needed message in order to operate in the gifts and operate them, operate in the gifts correctly. So without further ado, 
we're going to beginning at first Peter four and 10. And I'm just going to pray before I um, just really get into this. Father, we thank you right now for your word. Father, I thank you that as you use my voice, Lord God, I thank you right now, Father, that it will come out, Father, with clarity, Lord God, as I teach your word. Father, continue to ignite my heart, Lord God, to teach, Lord God, this message, Lord God, that you have given unto me in this season of preparation and pruning. We thank you, Father. We receive it, Father, with gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So First Peter 4 and 10. Now, remember, talking about stewarding the gift of sight, but inclusive to all the gifts. First Peter 4 and 10. Just as each one of you has received a special gift, a spiritual talent, or an ability graciously given by God, employ it and serve in one another as is appropriate for good stewards of God's multifaceted grace, faithfully using the diverse, varied gifts and abilities granted to Christians by God's unmerited favor. So the first thing that I want to bring out in this is that everyone has at least one gift or more, okay? Every person in the body of Christ and even those that have not even came into the body of Christ, they at least have one gift, okay? And the gift is for, just like it says, for the body of Christ. Now, that's as important. The gift is for the body of Christ. As you can see here, it says, employ it and serving one another. Put it to work. You're going to employ it to serve one another. Amen? Amen. So, now when we talk about, because I know a lot of times that you have heard us say that, you know, when it comes to your gift, that your gift should be working for you first. And then it should be working for others. But the Father kind of had to um, align, like, my thought process with that because, actually, he kind of corrected me on that thought process. So what he told me is this, <clears throat> and it's totally scripture. He said the gift is for the body, as you can see in the scriptures. It says employ it in serving one another as it appropriate. But when it comes to you actually um, I want to say using your gift, but it kind of goes through you. But when it comes to you getting yourself right, getting your life right, um, getting your thoughts right, and um, the Father correcting you, that's actually going through the relationship. That's not going through the office. So the gift is not for you. The gift is for the body. But when it comes to correction and pruning, you hear as a daughter or a son of God receiving correction from your father. You're not using your own gift on yourself. You use your gift for the body. And when it comes to you, like I said, the correction that you receive and the pruning that you receive for yourself, you hear as a daughter or a son from a father. Amen? So... <clears throat> so when I'm operating out of the, so I'm operating out of the relationship. I'm not operating out of the office. I'm often, I'm, for, for example, I'm operating out of the office of a prophet when I'm speaking a prophetic word over the people. 
But I'm not operating in the office of the prophet when it comes to steward in my own life. I'm operating actually out of the relationship. Amen. So now we're going to kind of get into the word because we I know a lot of times we hear the word steward a lot and we associate the word steward with finances a lot of times or steward in regards to what the father has given unto us as far as us managing what he has given unto us as Lord of Lords. Okay, us being the Lord case Lord. So steward, the definition of that is the manager of the household or household affairs, especially a manager or a superintendent in whom the manager has and entrusted his affairs. So, in other words, the father has entrusted you to manage your gift properly. The gift has to be managed. If the gift is not managed, then we run into an issue of people not receiving what you have to say. And the whole purpose of um, saying a prophetic um, saying or telling people what you see is so that it could be received. But if it's not being received, then that's a problem. That's a stewardship problem. Because a lot of times people won't receive what you have to say based off of how you carry yourself, your behavior, your attitude, how your life is, how you yourself are stewarding your own life. So it's, for instance... For an example, if, 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 let's say, a guy named Matt was here, and we know Matt had, now he's growing, but Matt had an issue with his anger, and he would beat his wife. And Matt had this super strong gift of prophecy, though, that even every time that he spoke, it's accurate because the gifts of God come without repentance. The gifts and calling of God come without repentance. But now he pulls, let's say he pulls Prophetess Kena to the side and say, hey, Prophetess Kena, I got a word for you. And automatically, the first thing, and, and it's not talked about, but <laughs> it happens. So that's why we have to talk about it. The first thing that you start to think in the back of your mind is how much he beat his wife. I'm just being honest with you. And it, and it prevents you from hearing what he has to say, even though the gifts and calling of God come without repentance. He is totally and strictly accurate in what he's saying, but it's hard for him to receive. So we have not done our job correctly because the Bible says that we are living epistles, read and known of men. People can see your life. They can see how the word is working in your life. They can see behaviors. They may not know the details of what's happening in your life, but they know that you are either not stewarding your life correctly or you are. Amen? So, <clears throat> let's look at, now I have a total of seven ways you are to steward the ability to see your gift of sight or other gifts, like I say, this this message goes parallel to every gift that the Father has entrusted to his children. But for time's sake, and the and the um me wanted to actually go deep, dive deep into these um actual these seven different ways in order to steward your gift, I'm only going to be going through, I believe, four of them tonight. I think I'm going through four. Yep. Four, five, three. Three to four. We'll see where time put me. And then I will do part two 
probably next week because it's short, but it's too long actually to add to this session. <laughs> so I had to break it up. So we're going to go through three to four ways tonight. We'll see how far I get on how you are to steward your gift of sight or steward any gift. Okay. Now, number one, we kind of been talking about it a little bit. The first thing is that you are to steward your personal life. It goes hand in hand in parallel, stewarding your personal life. And so there's some scriptures that we're going to look at to back up this. And it's going, the first one we're going to look at is Titus 1, 7 through 9. Titus 1, 7 through 9. <clears throat> and it says, a church leader is a manager of God's household. So he must, this sounds like, a demand right there. So he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. So the first thing is that um, in regards to stewarding your life and stewarding the gift is that the first thing is that you are a manager of the father's house. In more ways than one. The manager of the father's house in here. The manager of the father's house as far as you being the house. In your personal life. You are the manager of the father's house. He has entrusted you with his children. He has entrusted you with his gifts. He has entrusted you to, with, with the promises that he has for you. He has entrusted this house to you. Amen. The second thing in this scripture that I want to bring out is that it says that he must live a blameless life, which means that a blameless life is one, a person that lives their life and is parallel. They don't live a double life. They're not one way when they come in here and another way at home. When we talk about living a blameless life is you're the same in your house and then you're same in your public, your public life and your private life is parallel. And so after that, he begins to actually go into some character, some character issues that also will trip you up as you are what operating in your gifts. So these are the character issues. He said arrogance, quick tempered, heavy drinker, violent, dishonest with money. You enjoy having you're supposed to be hospitable. Love what is good. So he's just going through some character flaws that you should actually be looking at. You, you are the manager of your father's household. So you have to work on your issues before you're able to help others. Indeed. Amen. So when you steward your life, <clears throat> it makes the gift more receivable. And you want to be received by people. It gives the confirmation when it begins with, then 
he. You kind of get what I'm saying? It makes the gift more receivable a lot of times when it begins with then he. So I'll, I'll break that down. So what I mean when I say that is the first thing when it comes to just stewarding your life and stewarding the gift is that he will never, it would never be a thing where you have all these great gifts and abilities and talents and stuff and he, you don't put your hands to work in the ministry because they go hand in hand. Because the thing that happens, those start happening is that we'll start having people come in kind of like fright kind of freestyle and coming in and out to church just want to operate in the gifts but they don't put their hands to the ministry they don't don't they don't help out they don't see a need they don't uh minister they don't um you know ask you know where they can be used and so what we have is a lot of people that are heavily gifted but are not growing people that are heavily gifted but are not being received by people, people that are heavily gifted, but will have people, like I say, that are not stable. The second thing is that you want to study the word for truth and for correct doctrine, because that's what it says, that it says in wholesome teaching and to show those who oppose it where they are wrong. So you need to study the word in order to have correct doctrine, because a lot of times people won't receive you because you have no scripture basis to back up what you're saying. So you're not, you're not studying the word, and for instance, you're trying to break down the revelation of a dream, it's going to be very hard. So you're sitting, you're trying to break a dream down, but you have no scripture reference to back up. Cause so guess what? People are not going to be able to receive you because you have no scripture claims to back up what you just interpreted. So it's important that you study the word so that you can, can stand on correct doctrine when you are interpreting, when you are giving a word, because it actually makes it more receivable. It's, it's, it's one of those things where if I say, um, if you're, if I'm saying that, um, I had this dream or I have this word for you and it's just a word. There's no scriptural backup. There's no scriptural claim. There's no foundational teaching behind it. It's just, it's almost like it's just empty words. So when you do this, when you steward, when you steward the father's house, putting your hands to work in the ministry, when you begin to steward even your own life and when you're studying for to stand on correct doctrine, then it says at the end, then you're able to encourage others with wholesome teachers. So then you begin to encourage others and you begin to help others. You begin to pour into others because what? The word has been poured into you. You've been working on yourself. The father has been pruning you. You have been doing the work in the background that needs to be done in order for people to see your life. See the word change in your life. So guess what? When you say a prophetic word or you say that you're seeing something, it's received with gladness. Amen. My next scripture is 1 Corinthians 4 and 2. Hopefully my voice don't go out all the way. 1 Corinthians 4 and 2. And it says, in this case, moreover, it is required. Just like, you know, when you go to the DMV and you can't get an ID, right? 
They give you what? A whole list of requirements. I don't care what your story is. They're not budging. They're like, okay, you got to have a passport, birth certificate. I don't care. They don't care if, if, if your mama died last week. They don't care if somebody stole your purse. They're going to give you that same document they give everybody else. It's required. And so does that say requirement? It says, moreover, it is required. So you can't get around it. <laughs> you cannot pass go. You can't collect $200. As essential and demanded of stewards that one be found faithful and trustworthy. Faithfulness leads to trustworthiness. Okay, so if you're going to steward the gift, you got to be found faithful and trustworthy. So, once again, these are what? Character issues that affect the, that affect the effectiveness of your gift and the ability for others to receive what you have to say. Faithfulness leads to trustworthiness. Because guess what? If you are faithful, what he said, and the little things, what? he give you more. Because what? He trusts you. So faithfulness leads to trustworthiness. If, he can, he, if you can be faithful with the little people, for instance, that's here right now, and guess what? For me and Apostle, to be faithful to the little that come now. So guess what? He said, okay, we can entrust you with more people. So he starts to bring more people in. But he always gives you a test before he gives you more because he has to see how much of a good steward are you going to be with the things that he has entrusted you with. It's the same thing for anything with the, the law of, 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 of harvest for reaping and sowing. He says he gives seed to the sower. Now, a lot of times he's not going to start with a big seed. <laughs> he's going to start with the little See, to see if you're going to be faithful with the little bit. After you're faithful with the little bit, then he gives you more because you can't be trusted. Now, the thing about this is that we're not perfect people, and we know that, but we should be going in that direction of perfection because he says to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So we definitely should be headed in that direction. That should not be a place of justification while we can't get right. Amen. So also when we talk about faithfulness and trustworthy, it should run like a thread through your life. Okay. So we're talking about faithfulness in your not life. It's not just faithfulness in using your gift. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We being faithful and just using, you know, the gift of interpretation of tongues. It's like, okay, we can be faithful in that stuff. But what about the faithfulness in other areas of your life? Can you be faithful in your marriage? Can you be faithful in church attendance? Can you be faithful in learning? Can you be faithful in reading the word? Can you be faithful in praying? Can you be faithful in parenting and, and mothering and fathering your children? Can you be faithful in practicing righteousness? So faithfulness should run like a thread through your whole entire life. Amen? Amen. 
So we're just getting some things kind of corrected here because I know we're at the point where, you know, we did put the prophetic on hold for 30 days and, you know, we're going to bring forth, you know, a, a great and mighty word and dreams and all of that stuff's going to come and activation of sight and hearing and all these other things and, and deliverance is going to come forth. But I want us to, to, to do this thing correctly. I want us to have the character that we need in order for us to be received. I want us to have the faithfulness and the trustworthiness. And I want us to iron out all the kinks that hold people back and hold people up from actually reaching their full potential. Amen. Amen. So let's go to Titus 2, 7 through 8. Titus 2, 7 through 8. And it says, in all things, and just say all things, not just the stuff that we want. It say all, right? Not just the good stuff, right? But the bad stuff too, right? In all things, show yourself yourself right this is you show yourself to be an example of good works and with purity and doctrine having the strictest regard for integrity and truth dignified sound and beyond reproach and instruction so that the opponent of the faith will be shamed having nothing bad to say about us so the first thing I want to kind of bring out in the scripture is that your doctrine matters and your works matter, both. Your doctrine matters and your works matter. The doctrine that you teach, the doctrine, the foundation that you stand upon, it matters when you're operating in your gift. For instance, if, if we never, for instance, are taught on uh, the father's love but we never taught the fact that God was your father if we never taught on sonship if we never taught on practicing righteousness this would affect your ability to operate in your gifts because guess what now your chief foundation is not Christ and your chief foundation is not love which it actually tells you to pursue love first then the gifts so your doctrine has to be correct. What you are learning, what you are reading, what you are being taught, it matters. And not only does what you're taught and your doctrine matters, but it also what um, the works and what you do, it matters. Okay? Now, first thing, there must be a reputation for sound doctrines and for work. So we can't have gifted people, like I say, floating kind of in and out of the service and there's no level of accountability amen so you know some people will say okay but you know we're we're justified by faith right but also we know that what james said right james said what i will show you my works by my faith and then on top of that it said faith without works is dead what? Being alone. So you got to have the correct doctrine and you got to have the works behind it too. So we can't, for instance, um, we, for instance, we'll just, just take me for instance. I can't 
come up here and teach one thing and then turn around and you guys don't see me do it. That's going to decrease the effectiveness of my gift. If I'm telling you to love and then every time y'all need to ask me a question, I have an attitude, then it's going to affect the, the, the what? For you receiving what I have to say in regards to the gift. Amen. So in regard to just the fact of kind of throwing that kind of claim out of our mind that some people say, well, you know, well, we're justified by faith and, you know, we don't need to do any works. We got to go right back to scripture, like I said, because guess what? Was not this the same way that Abraham was justified when he did what? When he went to what? Do some work. What did he do? He went to go sacrifice Isaac and he was obedient to what the father says. There was two things happening. Faith and his works. He believed and then he went and he did. In another way, was not Rahab justified also by her works? When she did what? She helped the Israelites to escape. So she believed, and then she was obedient to helping them. So it's always going to be a twofold thing. So sometimes people who are highly gifted think that all they must do is walk in the gift and not serve the body for the building up, as the, as the word says, and for the edification of the church, or they don't take into account their life as a living epistle. So all they think is that, well, since I have this great gift, then I don't have to serve the body since my gift is so great. Or I have this uh, great gift that I don't need to build up the church. The, Bi the Bible says to for the, for the fivefold ministry is for the building up and the edification. Those are two separate things. The building up part does goes along with the work that you put in your hands to work in the ministry. Whether that's evangelism, that's teaching, that's preaching, that's praying, that's intercession, fasting. You're putting your hands to work. That's calling people, being hospitable. Amen? So, we, that's why I'm saying, I I'm, I'm want to really hit hard upon this because I don't want you guys to be disqualified. Because it's like you disqualify yourself. And like I say, what you're saying is totally accurate. You're hearing the Father. You know what it says. But like I say, then there's your lifestyle. So we got to make sure that we're stewarding our lifestyle so that when we come before people and we talk to people and we prophesy before people, we are received. Amen. Titus 3, 1 through 2. I know some people are not going to like this one. <laughs> but it's right. When is Titus right? <laughs> I guess I shouldn't see that with poop at. But anyways, Titus 3, 1 through 2. Remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities. To be obedient to be ready and willing to do good, to slander or abuse no one, to be kind and conciliatory and gentle, showing unqualified consideration and courtesy toward everyone. Not just the people you like, <laughs> not just the people in your family, 
everyone. So what is this? Once again, character issues. We're dealing with character issues. We're still on stewarding your life. We're still on character issues. Everyone needs somebody to be accountable to. Everybody needs somebody to be accountable to. You should not have yes people in your circle all the time. Somebody got to tell you no. Somebody got to tell you you're wrong. Somebody got to tell you you shouldn't think like that. Somebody got to say something. All your ideas can't be good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All the stuff that you want to release can't be released in this season. Somebody got to tell you, you probably want to wait on that. You probably want to go pray about that a little bit longer. You probably want to talk to the Father about that word that you just received. You don't want to have yes people in your circle all the time. <laughs> okay? You should, be, you should be in a position where somebody is, is, for the lack of a better word, I say smarter. That somebody has, I'll say wisdom. Someone has more wisdom than you and they're pouring into you, and you're pouring into somebody else too. You should always be in that position. Somebody's mentoring you, and then you're mentoring somebody else. Amen? The other thing is that you need people around you, not only that will correct you when you're wrong, but the thing about it is that we have to be able to con receive constructive criticism because we cannot see ourselves. We can't see ourselves, even if we just thought about it in the natural. We, we basically, we can see all of this in the front of us, but we can't see back here. You know what I'm saying? We can't see if something's on our shirt or if a child wrote something on, on our back or we got, you know, a hole back here. We can't see all of us naturally. So what makes us think we can see our, ourselves, ourselves spiritually all the way? It's like just the whole concept of just from a natural standpoint, you know how you can have something in your house and it's like uh, something in your garbage and it's stinking. Now you in the house. It's normal for you. <laughs> Because you in it. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's not really smelling like that because you're in it. You can't really smell it. But it's not until you either go outside and come back in or somebody else come back in and say, do you smell that? You like smell what? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm telling you, that's just how it happened. Because when you're in it, you can't see it all the way. You can't feel it all the way. You need another perspective. Amen. And we got to be able to receive that. Because sometimes that's what you got to do. You just got to sometimes, because, you know, it, when it come, it's just, it's hard to take it and swallow it. It's like, okay. Uh. But you got to step outside of yourself and think, okay, remove the emotions from it. Is it right? You just got to look at the facts. Is it right what this person say? You know, and should I give it some thought what this person says? Yeah, you should at least give it some thought, especially if they mentioned it. And especially if this is, you know, we're not talking about somebody just off the street, somebody random, but also that could be a thing where he do send somebody random. So you definitely got to keep your heart open and you got to be, you got to stay in prayer and be led by the spirit as well. Amen. Amen. So. Now, the part is <laughs> probably my favorite part where it says in um, Titus towards the end, it says showing unqualified consideration and courtesy toward everyone. Whether you feel like they deserve it or not. I know, right? 
<laughs> Oliver's like, whoa. Whether you feel like they deserve it or not, that's that's not. He didn't say if they deserve it. He didn't say if they honor you only. He didn't say if they bless you. He didn't say if they don't talk about you. He said unqualified consideration. So it has nothing to do with the fact of how they're acting, how they're behaving, what they're saying about you. It has nothing to do with none of that. Sure courtesy towards everyone. Amen. That's a hard one right there. So I'm going to let you chew on that. <laughs> so there will also be times when you need what? Wise counsel. So don't despise leadership. That's why I said remind the people to be subject to rulers and authority, to be obedient. There will be times where you need wise counsel, where you need somebody to interject in, in an argument that you're having or a thought that you're pondering or a deal that you might want to make or a direction that, the, that you feel like God is taking you. You need wise counsel sometimes. So don't despise leadership. Don't despise authority or rules that the Father has put in place, use them for your advantage to grow. Use them as a gift of grace for you to get better. Amen? All right. So we, that's why I was telling you, you know, this first one, stewarding your personal life, um, it is kind of long, and that's why I said we'll probably get to maybe three or four of these. The next one is 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. And it says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Okay? There is no way that you can continue to fellowship with bad company and not be converted. There's absolutely no way. Either they're going to, you're going to take them higher, <laughs> or they're going to take you down. It's going to be either or. There's no gray area in this where you can say, well, I think I'll be okay. No, they're, you're either going to take them up, or they're going to take you down. And the more that you fellowship with those in, in bad company, the more it begins to corrupt your behavior. The longer you stay away from the community, the longer you stay away from the secret place, the longer you stay from walking in the spirit, and you begin to be in bad company, it begins to corrupt you spiritually. There's no way that you will not be conformed. Because we, we can actually see it in the natural. You put a bad fruit in a bowl of good fruit, <laughs> what does it do? <laughs> it rots all of them. <laughs> and before you know it, you got to throw what? The whole batch out. So it does the same thing in the spirit. <laughs> you around a bad apple all the time. You're not practicing righteousness. You're not fellowshipping with the community. You're not praying. You're not fasting. What do you think is going to happen? So we guess what? We have to steward our life. We have to steward those that are around us. I think it was Warren uh, Buffett who says, you know, he was saying, you know, show me the five people that you, you know, that you work with all the time. He's like, and I'll show you where you're going in your life. Whoever's the five people that you are around the most, 
That's pretty much the direction you'll be going. Whatever their fate is, that's your fate too. Because what? You're going to roll with people with like minds. You're going to roll with people that have similar moral characters as you. You're going to roll with those kind of people because you have things in common. You're not going to roll with somebody who they don't have much in common with you unless you're trying to win them over to the Lord and reconcile them back to the Father. Amen. But even in that, you need something to be connected to in order to do that. You can't do that by yourself because that's a very draining process. Extremely draining. Amen. And it kind of goes with the same concept with, uh, you know, I think this is more kind of prevalent within the circles of women than it with men, but nowadays like you never know what you get to be honest with you (laughs) you know you hang with gossiping people guess what you begin to gossip you you begin to hang with a lot you know and talk to a whole lot of your friends and they're talking about how depressed and how sad they are and how much they want to lead their husband and nothing is going right before you know it you're feeling the same way because it's corrupting you If you don't have no word in you that's correcting, like, all their thoughts and saying, you know what, girl, do this, 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 and that, and they come with something else, and you're saying, okay, but the word says X, Y, and Z, and they said something else, and you say, okay, but the Father says X, Y, and Z. If you don't have that, it is said, it is written in order to exalt that person and pour into that person, then guess what? Automatically, by default, they're the ones actually imparting their stuff into you. Because you have to combat that kind of talk with the word. That's not something that you can just be around and then go home and be okay. No, it literally has an effect on you. Those spirits literally rest upon you, preventing the Father from doing what he has called you to do. Amen? Romans 13, 1 through 7. Talking about stewarding your ability to see and starting with stewarding your life so that your gift will be received. Romans 13, 1 through 7, everyone, you say everyone, I like those definites, got a lot of definites here. Everyone, all, (laughs) everyone must, must submit to governing authorities for all authority, all authority, not some All authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those that are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right. And they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them not only to avoid punishment but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. 
Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And the bottom line of that is whoever he's given authority to naturally, whether it's in the government or spiritually in the church, he says he's the one who gave him the authority and the power over you. Now, at the same time, he addresses the fact that, look, you shouldn't be living in fear if you're doing right. Only those that's not doing wrong, <laughs> they're in fear or they want to upsert authority. Amen? So one thing that I'm realizing is that authority and accountability is not something that is, um, you know, gladly talked about in the body of Christ. It's actually, it seems like it's losing its honor in this generation. But it's also treated almost like a cuss word in the body of Christ. When we, we talk about submission, we start talking about authority, we start talking about leadership. It's almost like a cuss word for people because of the generation that, that's being brought up, which is a fatherless generation. So we must understand that, you know, the position of power understandingly also, also has been abused too. And so a lot of the upsurging of authority and not wanting to do what authority says also has to do with the fact that a lot of people in authority have abused their power. They have abused their position, which by default makes people want to do what? Rebel. But we still got to do what the words say. Amen? And the thing about... Um, authority and powers that um, and the submission of authority and power is that we've seen Jesus through his whole like his whole ministry do it now he carried pretty much all power <laughs> all power was given unto him but what did he do he submitted himself not only to his parents he did it he didn't have to he didn't have to he was the son of God but he submitted himself to his appearance, which was what? His authorities during that period of time when he was 12. And then he turned around and submitted himself to the father to do the will of the father. He didn't want to die, but he said, nevertheless, let your will be done. So he submitted his will to the father's will. Amen. So he did it first. He showed us what it looks like. He showed us how to do it. He didn't give us an excuse not to do it. So, and this was funny. Every time I, um, every time I read um, in scripture where, um, I forgot where it is in the Bible, but it's the, the scene where pretty much they, they, give it, they gave Jesus over to Pilate. And, and he don't want to do it. He don't want to kill him. He was like, I don't find no fault with this man. Like, y'all want to kill him. I don't, I don't want his blood to be on my hands because I know this man is, is a blameless man and I don't want to do it. But it's a part where Pilate uh, tells Jesus about the power and authority that he has to kill him because he was asking him these questions. He was in, you know, Jesus, he, he you know, within his wisdom, he, he tells, you know, he always say, you say that. He's like, are you the king of the Jews? Or you say that. He didn't know, he never wanted to give him an instance of tripping him up. But, but he also knew what they wanted to do anyways. But Pilate tells him about the power and the authority that he has to kill him. He's like, do you know the power and the authority that I have to kill you? And Jesus turns around and tells him that the power and the authority that you claim that you have 
was given as a gift from my father. And without it being given to you for a purpose, he says, believe me, you wouldn't have that power unless it was part of my destiny. So in a nutshell, he was kind of like telling them, like, shut up, because the power that you have, it was given to me by my father. And you basically are being used as a puppet so that I can do the will on the earth that my father sent me. So you really have no power. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and always, uh, it always gets me. I say, you know, Jesus was a bad dude. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't hang with him. Amen. <laughs> Ephesians five fifteen through eighteen. Ephesians five fifteen through eighteen. It says, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the spirit. So talking about stewarding your life, once again, these are character issues. So he's telling you that there's things that you do as far as um, that you do that leads to reckless living. These are, these are things that prevent your gift from being received when you live a reckless life. And we're not talking about, when we talk about reckless living, we always think about the things that are just seen out in the forefront when it's talking about reckless living. But we also want to include um, the things that we don't even think about when we think about reckless living. There's tons of things that lead to reckless living. For instance, procrastination. Something that we don't think about. But it leads to reckless living because literally you're, you're procrastinating, you're procrastinating, you're procrastinating the things of God, things of God, things of God. And what does it do? It doesn't lead to what? A life of abundance. It leads to reckless living because you keep putting off what he says to do season after season after season after season. The other thing that, um, that leads to reckless living that we don't think about is slothfulness. Just being lazy, you know he told you to write that book. And it's been five years. <laughs> Things that lead to reckless living that we don't think about. Double-mindedness. Things we don't think about that leads to reckless living. How does it lead to reckless living? Because one day you're thinking that God's going to do it, and then the next day you're saying well maybe he not because i've been waiting for two weeks <laughs> it leads to reckless living because he said you how can you even think that you're going to receive something if you can't put an anchor in the promises that he said that belongs to you you can't even believe his word you're going back and forth based off of your emotions based off of what you see based off of what people are telling you so how can you expect you're going to receive anything from him? Because guess what? In order to please him, you got to have faith. There's no pleasing if there's double-mindedness. So guess what? If there's no pleasure in that, then there's no reward. Amen? So number two 
and stewarding your gift of sight is that we have to, you have to steward your eye gates. You have to. This is something that has to be done. You have to steward your eye gates. They say that the um, eyes are the windows to the soul. So what are you letting through your eye gates or who or what are we allowing in our eye gates? And that's through social media. That's through movies. That's through pictures. That's through videos, places that we go, places that we spend our time. What are you allowing your eye gates to see because the thing about it is that we already see in a glass darkly and dimly. <laughs> we already don't see a whole picture. When we see visions and dreams, majority of the time is impressions. And so a lot of times, even when we do have dreams, it's, it's a lot of times it's so vague that we have to sit and we have to meditate for that thing to come back. But guess what? If we clouding our eye gates, it's even harder to see in the spirit. So we have to steward our eye gates. Romans 12 and 1. And it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourself set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational which is your logic and intellectual act of worship. Now, when we say this a lot of times and we say present your bodies, we think of it in a way of don't fornicate, don't have sex, don't lust. Uh, present your bodies is, as far as, you know, making sure that we're righteous and holy and stuff. But when we talk, if we break that down even further. If he says present your body, that means that means your legs, that means your feet, because it's part of the body, isn't it? That means your eyes. That means your ears. Present your body. Present your eyes. Present your ears as a living sacrifice. So if we're presenting these things as a living sacrifice, then guess what? We have to steward our eyes. We have to steward our ears. We can't just listen to anything that we want to listen to. We can't just look at anything that we want to look at. Amen? We have to literally present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We have to sacrifice our eyes to the Lord. We have to sacrifice our ears to the Lord. We have to sacrifice our feet as far as where we go and, and who we spend time with and where we spend the time at to the Lord. Amen? Amen. So, <laughs> you ever had a... I'm pretty sure everybody in this room has. You ever had someone bring, for instance, you ever been in a season where you say, you know what, I'm just going to cut off all this this bad communication. I'm just going to cut off all these, this, these bad people, all this negative energy, and I'm just going to go in for the Lord, right? And then all of a sudden you receive the, these text messages saying, oh, girl, somebody is slandering your name. You should read this text or you should listen to this, this thing. And they said something about you and you're, you're trying to focus and they're trying to bring your attention to something else. Right? So what actually ends up happening, what do you do? You give into temptation. 
You go on that post, you look to see what they said about you. <laughs> you read the text to see what they said, right? We, we do it. And before you know it, it causes what? A downward spiral of your thought process. You was doing good. <laughs> now all of a sudden, it's about what they said and how they said and why they said and when they said it and who they said it to and who they tagged in the picture and all this other stuff. And before you know it, it's just like, it's just, you're spiraling. Your whole day is just lost, lost into what people said and what they was doing. So the thing about that the father was telling me in regards to stewarding your eye gaze is this. Do not allow the enemy to use this tactic on you anymore, okay? Don't allow him to use this tactic on you anymore because what it does, it creates a distraction and it takes away from what the father needs to get you to focus on for the day. He might have wanted to show you something. He might have wanted to tell you something. He might have wanted to give you a revelation, a word, a prophecy, a vision, or a dream, but you're so entangled in your mind about what you just saw on social media or text or um, or, or uh, an audio that you listened to that now he can't even show you. He can't even show you. <laughs> so every time you give into the temptation to look or to hear, it takes away from what the Father was going to show you for the day. Totally took it away. And he might have had a scripture for you to endure for that day. He might have had wisdom or bread for you to have for that day in order for you to get through the day. But now we're so entangled into what we saw that we, we can't even receive for the day. So, word to the wise, every time you give into it, Remember, it causes your vision to be clouded and it makes you, it makes it difficult for you to hear his voice. So steward your eye gates as well as any other gate, your ear gates, whatever, steward those things. Be diligent about what you look at. Be diligent about where you go, the people and the places that you go. Amen. Amen. And this is actually I'm doing good this is actually my last one we'll see number three talking about stewarding your gift of sight inclusive to really all your gifts so number three is stewarding your intimacy with the father it has to be stewarded in regards to your gift being a more the most effective that it can be you have to steward your intimacy with the father now the parable behind the 10 virgins which we all have read has to do with more with relationship than preparation and i'm going to show you this um, is the reason because by the end response of the bridegroom, which is Christ Jesus. So let us read Matthew 25. We're going to read verses one through 12. Talking about stewarding your intimacy with the father so that your gifts can be more effective. Matthew 25, one through 12 reads, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins 
who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, thoughtless, silly, careless, and five were wise, fair-sighted, practical, sensible. For when the foolish took their lamps, they did not take any extra oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil along with their lamps. Now when the bridegroom was delayed, they all began to nod off and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins got up and put their own lamps in order. They trimmed the wicks and added oil and lit them. But the foolish virgin said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, otherwise there will not be enough for us and for you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy oil for yourself. But while they were going away to buy oil, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in and with him in the wedding feast and the door was shut and locked. Later, the, us, the others also came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. We have no relationship. So it has all to do with the relationship. So you have to steward your intimacy with the Father. Why? Number one, intimacy and communication with the Father were a part of the reason why you were created. Because that's how it started in the beginning. What did Adam have? A relationship. He had intimacy and communication. So it's a part of the reason why you were created. Number two, just like in a marriage, there is intimacy with the man and the woman that once they get married, there's a spiritual process that takes place where what? Two become one. So now, you know, it, it kind of actually goes even further that the more actually you merge yourself in your marriage for two people becoming one, actually your gifts also begin to merge. Because it happens, you know, all the time with uh, the more I'm around apostle, the seem like the more revelation I seem to get. And the more, you know, he's around me, he, he don't even know it, but he, he, he be prophesying and he don't even know it. <laughs> so, it, it, I mean, your gifts literally can intertwine with one another. Actually, the more you just become one with one another, you become in an alignment. So the symbolism of the oil in the scripture with the ten virgins, because remember, they took oil with them. The symbolism of oil in scripture is what? The anointing. Okay. So when we talk about, so, so it's one of those things, when he calls you to do what he has, he, when he calls you to do, while you're trying to, why he, he, it's one of those things, he's trying to set you up for opportunity. When you're storing your intimacy with him, it's like you have, you have to get the oil that you need and you can't ask for somebody else's oil for your own journey. It's like asking somebody else for their anointing. And that's what they were saying. They was like, give us the time that you spent with the father. Give us your anointing. And they're like, no, we're not going to give us, we're not giving you our anointing. You got to get your own anointing for your own journey. So likewise, 
When you begin to spend time in the secret place with your father, there is a merge that begins to take place. So guess what? His language becomes your language. His will becomes your will. His heart becomes your heart. His desires become what? Your desires. His love becomes your love. His character becomes your character. So the more time you spend with him, the more anointing rests upon you. And the more what? Your effective, your gifts are because of that. So the more oil is pulled out on you, the more that he what? He begins to know you. And guess what? That's the same, the same know that's in the scripture at the end where he says, but he replied, I, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, I do not know you. We have no relationship. That word no is the same no in the beginning where the Bible says that Adam knew Eve. It's the same no. That says no, that says new, but it's the same no. It says that Adam knew Eve, meaning that he was intimate with her. He knew her. And so that's what he was saying. I don't know you. We never spend any time together. And that's the, and it, and it goes right along with scripture when he says, you know, when people say, guess, Lord, Lord, we did all of these miracles and signs and wonders. And he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. I never spent time with you. You didn't spend time with me. So the relationship, as far as stewarding the relationship, is important because your gift have to operate correctly. Your gift operates, like I say, it's going to operate as far as the gifts and calling that comes without repentance. But the, we don't just want the minimum, and we've been operating on the minimum for so long in the church. It's just, it's one of those things, it's time to literally go higher. It's literally time to have his character. It's time to have his will. It's time to have his love so that when we're literally prophesying to people, that they were not only receiving it, but there's an anointing that comes along with it. There's a power that comes along with it. There's an authority that comes along with it because we're stewarding our life. We're stewarding our eye gates. We're stewarding our time and our intimacy with him. So guess what? There's a greater power. There's a greater authority that's poured out on us. And like I say, then you begin, it's like there's a, there's a greater witness in you. And when you begin to prophesy or, or edify other people, it's like, just like the Bible says, there's a witness in you that testifies that what I'm saying is correct. You've been there before. That somebody gave you a word or they interpreted a dream and you're like, oh, I don't think that's right. But you're trying to be polite because <laughs> you don't want to say that up front. <laughs> and like, I don't believe you. And you're like, oh, okay. You're like, okay, okay, I received that. And knowing you don't receive it, you don't receive that. You know you ain't received it. <laughs> so like I say, we want to be, like I say, we want to walk worthy of the calling that he has called us in our character. We want to make sure that we're being received by people. And we want to make sure that we are literally maturing as children of God, that we're not just coming in here and doing this, this, this big act and we're going home and we're just a whole different person. 
<laughs> it's just it's just time out for that because like I say, there's so many people falling away from the faith for those for those obvious reasons. That they, they, they've encountered somebody here in the church, but then, like I say, they see them somewhere else, and it's a totally different person. You know what I'm saying? It makes people fall away from the faith. It makes people close their ears off from you. It makes people not even want to come because they, what's the first thing they say? They got hypocrites in the church. That's the first thing they're going to say. So to remove that stigma we have to work on our character. We have to steward what the Father has given unto us, not just our finances. We have to steward our life. We have to steward the places that we go. Okay? Amen? Amen. 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 So I'm actually going to um, stop here, I believe. Um, let me also say this. this is a housekeeping thing. Because I know that after this 30 days of um, holding this prophecy, I know this prophecy just going to come forth like a flood. Um, just housekeeping. When we are stewarding our gift, there's certain housekeeping things that we just have to know. For instance, especially when it comes to the things in which we see, we have to have tact with those things because we don't want to run people away. Because are we seeing definitely, you know, different things in the spirit? We are. But we can't be like, for instance, we can't tell people, you know, um, you know, get, we're letting, you know, asking Stephanie, stand up, Stephanie. I got a word from the Lord for you. And, um, you know, I see a demon next to you. That, that's going to scare people away. Not only is it going to scare people away, but it's going to embarrass a person that, okay, people looking at them now like, you got a, oh, I got a demon next to me. Like, they're not going to, I'm serious, they're not going to want to come back. So you have to literally unpeel that thing. You have to unpeel it. You have to, you have to, almost like you got to meditate on it. Whatever you're seeing in the spirit, it's like, okay, I see a demon. You got to start talking to the father. Okay, father, where is this coming from? Like, um, uh, you know. Even like, okay, what's the spirit behind it? It's a demon, but what's the spirit behind it? It might be depression. It might be anxiety. It might be fear. So you have to really like unpeel that, okay? And so when you tell Jennifer to stand up, you don't tell her she got a demon standing next to her. You said, you know, I'm sensing, you know, something in the spirit. It maybe has to do with, you know, are you worried about something? You know, I'm, I'm seeing that you might be worried about something. And she might say, yeah, you know, I am worried about something. And then you start unpeeling it some more. Are you, um, it seems like you're, you're, you're worried about, you know, finishing school or having the right amount of money. So that's how you peel that back. But you don't want to scare people away. Okay. The other thing we have intact is that there's some things that the father will show you that does not need to be said in public. And in that, you just, you know, you let a person know, hey, Jennifer, um, I got a word for you, but, you know, can I call you or can I talk to you after service? And you do that in private. Especially, like I say, if it's a private matter, if you have any doubt in your mind, like, uh, should I say this? Don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Because the thing about it is that we don't want not only to scare people away, but like I say, we, we also have to groom people in this. I remember, uh, <laughs> I think it was Pastor Kirby. Um, 
<laughs> he was like, hey, um, Dr. Hardy, he's like, you know, because I'm going to be, you know, inviting some people, uh, you know. <laughs> They're going to be, us, you know, of, you know, maybe Haitian culture or something. And they are not, you know, they are not like um, – What's the word I want to use? Used to. They are not used to saying, you know, telling people, you know, stand up. They got a word for you. And so these are things that you should know because, you know, we we just go flow. You know what I'm saying? We, you know, we don't think about culture. We don't think about nothing else. We just flowing in the gifts. And so, <laughs> and he stood to be corrected. <laughs> he was totally correct because I did it one time. I forgot we. I think it was maybe uh, Sinley, and I was giving her a word that, um, you know, she, she fast, the fast, and after seven days, so something in regards to fasting or whatever the first time, and she was just looking at me like, okay, if you said it, I'll, I'll see about that. <laughs> But, you know, it's just one of those things, kind of also like what I was telling you, you know, Chris, that, you know, when you came up here and you were speaking the word, and it's it's like crickets, 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 like nobody came for it. But the crazy part about it was after service, somebody did come forth to say, hey, yeah, what you, you was talking about, yeah, I was going through that. So it's one of those things, not only you have to be mindful, you know, of different cultures and stuff and how you present, you know, yourself as far as saying a prophetic word, but there's the flip side of that coin is that you have to have uh, confidence that what you heard and you, you, you bring forth what you heard because it's all in exercising, you know, your gifts. It's all in um, like going to the gym and, and, you know, you're pumping yourself up and you're getting stronger and stuff. It's all about you gaining strength and exercising that part of yourself. So I tell, that's why I tell you to do it. Because, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I used to struggle with. The reason why um, I have really exercised my ability to hear the Father and to to see is because I was literally diligent about it. I said, no, I took a season, like Apostle would say, but this was sort like the beginning when we first got here in Georgia, and I was having the hardest time hearing. I was having the hardest time not only hearing, but my courage was not where it needed to be when I did hear what I thought I heard in order to come forth to say what I needed to say. And when I tell you, like, he took me through so, but I asked him to, though. I said, I need to be able to hear your you, you on a frequency that is free from error. Because if you have called me to be a prophet in the office of the prophet, I can't teach the people if I can't hear. If I'm struggling, I can't teach them to hear. And so I literally went through this. It was a long season, too, y'all. But like the Bible says, let patience have its perfect work. It was a perfect work, I tell you that, because I needed some patience with that because it was, it's a rigorous process because he'll say something, you think you hear it, you you might doubt it, you pray about it. It's like a very confusing process, and it's not until you just do away with all the noise. And I, me personally, I actually asked the Father to put me in situations where I know without a shadow of a doubt it was him to exercise my ability to hear and to see. So that's what he actually did. <laughs> and so he would do that. He would say something to me, 
And I'm like, okay, I think that's you. And then my husband would turn around, say the same thing he just said, and I say, okay, that was you. And so he literally would put me in these scenarios because I asked him to because I wanted to hear. I wanted the I wanted the sharpness and and the ability to hear with accuracy. And so not only did he do that, but he actually took me to um, a place to, as far as exercising my gifts, and he told me to study. Um, he said there's a difference between my voice, there's a difference between um, the enemy's voice, and the difference between your voice, which is flesh. And that helped me a great deal, a lot. <laughs> I mean a lot, just to put those in categories like that. He was like, okay, if it's, if it's con- something concerning, something I'm telling you to do, and it's totally scriptural, and it's going to help you to get better, and it's going to help you to grow, and it's right, that's me. Now, you know it's Satan, because all of it leads up to kill, steal, and destroy. It's, just, it's always the end of that equation. It's always at the end of that equation. And then he said, but, you know, most people get those two down real good. It's really yourself, the flesh that kind of... Um, gets you confused with the voice of the Father. And so in that, he told me if it lines up with what you want and you only, and it's just going to benefit you, that's you. (laughs) It's just all the benefit is for you. The idea is yours. The benefit is yours. It don't have nothing to do with people. It had not got nothing to do with giving. He said, that's all you. All you, you know, it's about something that you want, something that you desire, something that you want to have. That's all you. And so I began to put those thoughts in those categories, and that also helped me exercise my gift better. So now I know I'm like, okay, that's me. I want that card. The Lord didn't say that he shall give me that. He didn't say that. (laughs) Because I know there's times where he said, go down there, and I will give that to you. You know, it's very direct. But then there's time, like, I walk past something, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, and I want that. That's a totally different. Amen? But I'll do part two, because, um, like I said, there's only about three three to four other more, three others that I want to go through as far as stewarding your gift that's very important. Because, like I say, after this prophetic opens up again, we want to make sure that we're we're operating to our fullest. More people are going to be coming in. We have to be the example. We have to set the example. And like I say, it's just time out for people being so gifted and their life not showing that they're stewarding their life. Their their um their fruit is not showing that they're stewarding their life. And it's just a whole bunch of gifted people just coming. And willy-nilly kind of in and out of church as they please. They're not putting their hands to the work of the ministry. They're not mentoring anybody. And so, like I say, we have to have both. We have to be in alignment with all of it in order for it to work properly. And my, like I said, my children will, I probably that's the biggest thing that I, um, I'm actually done, that I get on my children about is that they will tell you. The biggest thing I always will get on them about don't start nothing that you're not going to finish. You're going you to start it, and you're going to complete it all the way through. The, the thing I hate the most is, is when something is started and it's not finished. I said, you know, because it's going to go through a thread. 
through their life. They're going to start that way, and they're going to be adults that start things, and they don't finish things. And so um, my, I, I have the same mothering and teaching style in here in regards to the children of God is that if we say we're going to do something, we're going to go all the way with it. We're going to do it and operate in the spirit of excellence. We're not going to go halfway doing it because you can't receive all of what he has for you going halfway with it. We want to reach our full potential in God. We don't want to half do something and, and get, you know, we die and, and realize that there was more inside of us. There's more that he wanted to do with us, but he couldn't because our character wasn't there. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you for the word tonight. We thank you, Father, that you are continuing, Father, to use your...